0: Hello, this is um, Matt Hale bringing you the Art Monthly Talk show on Resonance One Hundred Four Point Four FM and Art Monthly's website, events page, and a podcast in many places where you listen to podcasts. And I'm joined today, um, firstly by Martin Holman, who is a writer based in Penzance, which is in the west of England. In case you don't know, hi Martin. Thanks. Hello. For it's a pleasure. Well, we haven't had. We, we may may not be. You may find me. Oh, well, let's, uh, let,
1: let, let's be positive. Let's hope <laughs> it is a pleasure.
0: Usually, usually it is. Um, <laughs> now, you, you kindly wrote a review in Art Monthly, which you've done many times before on other things as well. Um, but th- this review is um, around a show, an exhibition at two venues in Paris, Jeux de Pomme and Le Bal, and the show is called "Reversing the Eye." Art of Povera and Beyond, nineteen sixty to seventy-five. I've got all that right.
1: You have, and there's also an extra bit which the uh, curators of the exhibition added, and that's just the three words: film, video, and photography.
0: Thank you. Now, that is
1: those are the the, those are the media that this exhibition focuses on.
0: Yeah, which is critical because there's been many shows, I think, about Art of Povera, which are wider aren't they and 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 perhaps more i mean certainly materials presented would be quite different
1: well pres- what is interesting about this exhibition is that it does treat um an area that italian artists became increasingly interested in the 1960s that in general is not treated by has not been treated by the Um, retrospective exhibitions of Arte Povera which have taken place over the last well 40 years or so Um, and so that it's very welcome because uh, photography was one of the media that those artists associated with or incorporated into um, this umbrella term Arte Povera um, used and it does help to Give a broader definition of what arte Povera is beyond the conventional view that it's uh, artists who made objects primarily using very ordinary everyday materials, ones which weren't associated with traditional art making up to that point.
0: so they they might have used wood or soil or something like that as opposed to marble. Is that the kind of
1: that's basic the kind basic of thing. difference you mean? That's the kind of thing, because yes. we think back to the situation in the 1960s. It's, it's And since this exhibition is, is about Italian artists, we can talk about the Italian context. And that is that artists, uh, contemporary artists, the artists who are beginning their careers, say, in the 1960s. With, and it's still the case today, feel very heavily the weight of, of uh, tradition that exists uh, in Italy with regard to making art. And that um, by, 19, by the beginning of the 1960s, there were artists who were definitely looking to liberate themselves from what they considered to be the material, but also linguistic constraints that the Renaissance, Baroque and so on, um, had established and which continued. Uh, Italy was very much still, You could, uh, one could say, Uh, under the classical, um, uh, uh, in the classical shadow, or in the shadow of classicism, um, right up until the Second World War. And from that point, you see a kind of breakout occurring with uh, new ideas, with um, Lucio Fontana, for instance, and uh, with Alberto Burri, who were beginning to show that art could have um, wider boundaries, um, and that development took a uh, moved a pace in Italy in the nineteen fifties, um, and by the end of the fifties, we have uh, people like uh, well Piero Manzoni working yeah. in a way that seems completely separated from that tradition itself.
0: Yeah, I, I'm very glad you mentioned him because I've I've always loved his work, and it, and I and I, I know you did mention him in the in the review, and and. Interestingly, his he you say I think that he was um, using photography as artwork. So the photograph became artwork in his art, even the, say a documentation of, of something he was he'd done. That's
1: right. I mean, we that, to...
0: that was the art itself
1: well we're beginning to see this move away from physical objects as being as constituting the artwork and towards what you know by the 1970s what lucy lippard had termed the dematerialization of art and photography and had within the italian context again had a particular had a particular function it was about uh, recording um, Italy, after all, has got quite a lot to record when it comes to um, artworks and with the arrival of photography in the 1850s, it became a kind of tool of study. So it was so that photographers were passively, if you like, recording um, or uh, photographing great monuments and um, the works of art from you know <laughs> a millennia before. With Manzoni, we begin to we see, and Manzoni is the best example, and because of his extraordinary um, creativity, um, he attracted the he attracted uh, other progressive artists to what he was doing. So he was establishing uh, new ideas. He began to use photography in a slightly in a, in a different way in relation to what he was doing which is after all often you know it was event-based for instance you know um we can think of the you know sort of extraordinary um uh, performances that uh, manzonia was responsible for so taking away from the finished object and towards a process of making art and using photography uh in two ways first of all to record those activities that he was making and to disseminate them so as information um, but also that the, uh, f- the photograph, um, which uh, uh, the photograph could be considered to be um, an artwork itself. It's, it, it could stand for the immateriality of his work um, thereafter. And what was interesting about Manzoni particularly was that he kind of like photography was, you know, photography was beginning to be much more used in um, mass media. And Italians love their love magazines, and it had, and this was at the time of the in the nineteen fifties. We had this beginning of this extraordinary period towards the end of the uh, of the decade, which was fueled by, um, for a certain extent, to a large extent, by uh, American funding after the Second World War. Funding which ensured that Italy, which was at the uh, which was really on the frontier between um, what was considered to be the democratic West. And the Soviet East, uh, American money was helped to encourage Italy to stay within the Western part, um, because uh, the communist influence was very strong in Italy, and so this generated an economic revival of remarkable proportions in Italy, Um, with uh, especially in the north. The south is always. A, a different case it was still very agrarian and backward but but uh, and there was uh, but um, in that period uh, there were industri- there was industrial growth and what does industry tend to have with it it has advertising and so uh, photography began to use more and more for advertising we can see Manzoni presenting himself as a kind of like in a sort of like uh, advertising poses in the photographs that he takes you have this sort of rather genial smiling figure you know holding an egg or hold, holding an egg with his fingerprint on it or, or whatever um as a participant in his own art making and um this begins to establish the sort of um um the uh what you see as the theme that evolves through the exhibition that uh, in in just been in paris and which will move to milan in the spring of the um of documentation uh, where documentation ends and the artwork begins if you want to see it the other way around begins to get more and more blurred and in the process gives artists um a, a sort of a, a remarkable new area in which to work
0: yeah i'm just looking at a printout i've done of, of um paolini's you you say his name giulio paolini how am i doing Giulio Paulini. yeah, I mean, his. Um, you mentioned him in your review, uh, piece one four two one nine six five from nineteen sixty five. Which is a, this? This that's like where it goes uh, in a way, isn't it? He, his that piece of work is like an analysis of taking a photograph. Would you say how
1: it is? It is. It is. And Paulini is one of those crucial figures in the development of uh, it of um in the development of uh, conceptual art in Italy in the 1960s i mean his career dates back to the beginning of the 1960s and he he applied a critical approach to the process of image making and uh, he is the author he created. and um, Using word "author," of course, might get us into all sorts of. <laughs> 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 so um, uh, we can look at that later, but let's put that to one all right, side. All right. one. All right. I'll make a note. Um, he is the. Uh, <laughs> he he um, proposed all sorts of new ideas, which investigated the image itself, and photography was one of the one of the um, materials which he incorporated into his practice, and he did that from. Um, early in the 1960s and that uh, one that that, that particular uh, uh, work that um you mentioned um by Paolini was uh, an example of him using photography to invent, to to look at how uh, an image is constructed um should I briefly say what the what is contained within that image it is in in the image you see um um an interior space, and there are two people in that, seen from behind. The one farthest from um, the what you could call the picture plane is um, an artist who is is a figure who is holding a very large primed but empty canvas uh, and as if he's positioning it on the wall. Between him and this other per- and the next person you see, are pots and brushes and so on, which indicate the material, the, the, the sort of instruments of the painter. So a kind of like you know the, here we are, we have a traditional uh, description of the artist, but he hasn't yet made anything. The person in, uh, standing between uh, between him and us, the viewer is another is another male figure seen from behind and that person has different uh, attributes um he has a um tripod and camera so we assume that he is another kind of artist or could be the photographer uh, a controversial um, interim sort of definition because the photographer as we say was was then concerned with reportage rather than rather than image making um, and where and between um, between that figure and the viewer is the um, is the surface of the image, the, the picture plane so that the, the photographer is not responsible for the image that we see. it is some um, other um, um, tool, um, which we take to be the camera, the camera um, then, was considered to be a neutral fact-based instrument and um, this took the all sort of romantic notions and so on um, out of the um, interpretation of the image it becomes a, a scrutiny of the image as image and what's also interesting about those photographs about those works that Paolini made in that time and it wasn't alone in doing it this way was that he um transferred the photographic image through photographic emulsion onto canvas so you can see there is a sort of like playfulness with con- with with um conventions about what constitutes the artwork um, paolini went on in this way and of course his his practice still uh, continuing now um is um is possibly the most conceptual aspect of what, um, of the scope that Arte Povera, um spans. Do we want to talk about Arte Povera. We've just introduced, we, we're, we're talking about that phrase, and it's one which is very, it's it, it, it's um, applied in a very broad way um, to art, art activity in Italy in the 1960s. Shall we do that?
0: Yeah, do, do, of course.
1: Well, Arti is a difficult um, concept to define. A um, history of it is it, it is that it's a term which was applied to an exhibition which took place in January in September, 1967. And it had been um, coined by uh, an art critic called Germano Celant.
0: You you wrote, he, you wrote his obituary in Art Monthly. It, it, yes, he, he
1: very sadly died in 2020, a victim um, of coronavirus.
0: Very sad. Um, yeah. Issue due June 2020. We published that. If anyone wants to read, yes. it. yes.
1: So he died. He he he, he, he died, um, in the spring of uh, of 2020, and of course, uh, Italy was very Italy was very um, heavily hit by the first wave of the pandemic um and uh, chelant had um um observed in the practices of certain artists that he knew in turin primarily but also in rome um a an attitude towards um towards art in never use that broad term that distinguished them from the conventions of um the, the conventions of art making that is that they that they were using materials that were uh, non-standard and also that they were um dealing with subjects that um were not conventional ones often the, the banality of the everyday um a model that he had for that for, for what these artists were were doing Uh, was for instance, Michelangelo Pistoletto, an artist who had established his career in the early 1960s and who uh, who came to prominence in the early 60s with his mirror paintings, which he started making in 1962. These extraordinary works in which he applies a photographic image to uh, a highly polished steel and later mirror surface, um, so that um, past, present, future, as it were, fused into the um, fused into the one image, which itself is a is 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 not fixed because um, around the um the photographic image which is something which has taken place which is sort often very very ordinary three people talking or uh, a stepladder um, leaning against a wall, um, or it could be a body, it could be an object or whatever. Is the highly reflective surface and in that surface you uh, is the space around the artwork itself in the space where it's in in the location where it's been set up and of course also the observer is involved implicated in the image as it appears at that moment but it sounds very
0: like a paolini photograph uh,
1: that scenario is very like what you described earlier well it's within this ambit of um uh, restructuring the notion of the pictorial space the and that um so that it has I mean it's also of course related to the moving image you could say to uh film and uh, uh to film particularly and Italy I mean, this is an aside but of course Italy had a huge film industry and the moving image was part of Italian culture at that time um through uh, in, in kind of popular culture. Uh, and therefore the sort of in, the sort of involvement of um popular culture within uh, what was to be sort of like what what is a what is what constitutes the artwork is itself uh, slightly different but also but related to what had been happening in pop art these artists uh, were were rather sort of opposed to pop art the commercialization, the market, the, the marketing, the the sort of notion, the, the the um the involvement of um market capitalism uh within the image is something which they rejected because um um they Pistoletto and others were aware that the you know that that um the consumer the consumer revolution had been happening in in Italy uh, since the late Fifties and the economic boom was itself um, a threat to something about um, values in of uh, Italian culture. Um, Curiously enough, um, uh, Fontana had been aware of this in the nineteen forties and fifties as well. So the, all of these new, these many of these new ideas have their own history in in what had been in what had been occurring. Pop art was a sort of like anathema, almost an anathema to them. Italy has this ambiguous relationship with consumer and with craft. Um, and that, um, you know, that, that this is something which is, is bound up in, in Arte Povera. So Michelangelo Pistoletto was one of the figures who helped to, uh, who gave um, Arte Povera its image. Paolini was another. You can see that there are similarities, but also differences. And what um, really Cirlant was doing in 1967 was providing something which was counter what, uh, what, what was prevailing in the Italian and also European art worlds at that time. Chalant was an, a, was a monumental figure in post-war Italian art. And he was a, a critic of course. He a Genu- uh, born in Genoa, um, he was a critic and not a maker himself and therefore representative were reflecting something very typical in Italy which is that um is that the the critic took over from sort of like the historical patron as the person who guides the direction in which sort of artists fortunes go if not their work itself they're the ma- they, rem- they remain the masters of that but in, their for- in the way their fortunes go so that um by bringing together um these artists uh was um offering a kind of like a team that could take on uh uh, um, um convention in art making in Italy but also it could connect Italy with what he perceived was happening in other parts of the world particularly in the United States you can't divorce um what was happening in Italy, what we see in this exhibition in terms of especially of using the photograph from what was happening in the United States. Although there were no there were no formal connections between the two, except what each other saw in magazines, in yeah. art magazines, where, of course, work appeared as photography, in fo- as photograph, the reproducible image. Hmm. And so um, and, and so uh, the. Um, the photograph became um, a. It was viewed as um, a as a container of information, and that's what these artists moved on with. Now, Arte Povera is simply a term, which which is applied to a limited number of artists. There are thirteen poveristi, twelve men, one woman, and that came to and, and, and um, that sort of core grew between the period 1967 and 1971, when Celant uh, unilaterally dissolved Arte Pavela. Um, Arte Pavela is, it's hard to call it a movement. I call it a tendency, an association, because strictly, unlike movements, for instance, Futurism, It didn't have its manifestos. It didn't have a common bond. It didn't have it had it had it had um, the artists had intentions and interests in common, but they never considered themselves to be a sort of united band. It was Chelan who showed them together within in a number of crucial seminal exhibitions between 67 and 71, uh, uh, 71, 72. And um but they also all consider themselves independent people like Yannis uh, Kunelis, um, who's practic- who was a, a Rome-based artist, uh, Greek origin of course um and whose move into film in 19 in the in, in the early 1970s was vital for the development of artists film very very uh, interesting area itself uh Kunis is um, crucial, as was his close friend, Pino Pascali, also in Rome. Um, And Pascali was very much more an object maker, but who used photography in in a different way. And that was in a sort of way to um, um, as a performance space, Um, he would perform for the camera. And also he worked both those artists worked for a Rome art dealer called Fabio Sargentini who promoted his artists um, with exhibition catalogues, which were full of photographic documentation. So the photograph as a a document was also used for disseminating these artists' work. Um, And in in Turin, you had Pistoletto, you have, uh, there was Paolini, Giovanni Anselmo, whose photograph uh, enter the artwork is a, of 1960. Oh, I've forgotten the date, but it's 1971. <laughs> um, was crucial to this. Um it was it was it was also a wonderful um, um, example of um, the um, an attitude towards the photograph, which we can talk about later. And then on uh, uh, Emilio Plini, who is, sort of, who is a figure who used only, really, the photograph um, and the reproducible image. In the mid-60s, Walter Benjamin, for instance, his texts were being translated into Italian. And so that became um, um, a, uh, a, a um, wellspring of um, possibilities for these artists, often confirming what they themselves found um interesting um and then later you have people like giuseppe panone and you and uh Gil, the great gilberto zorio um entering the uh, uh entering the sort of uh um group people show together, are
0: all in all in be. this exhibition um uh, the, they are all using imagery Moving imagery.
1: There is, there, is, there is still and moving imagery, and there are installations which use um the reproducible image, such as uh, a large globe that um that um Michelangelo used huge its globe, which he used to roll through the streets of uh, Turin and uh, which was made up of newspaper. Which is, of course, um, uh, full of, re- uh, of reproduction, and which is, and, and the newspaper is itself a source of news. And he was used this to erode it through the streets of um, Turin towards the gallery that, where he was showing. Uh, and this became a performance, a performance which you can see on film and also in, uh, as, uh, in uh, as photographs in this exhibition. And- are, the, are
0: those those seen as artworks? Those films, the film and the photographs—they're both seen as artworks, or are well, they not? Do you know what well, I mean? you
1: see, we, we, you know, this is a ling- this is linguistic territory, and yeah, uh, what
0: but in terms of market are they- terms, are they, I mean, are they buyable? Are they were they but were they sold as art? No.
1: Um, no, because um, the uh, uh, whereas they, they took part in the market, um, and that uh, dealers such as Fabio Sargentini in Rome, Gian Enzo Sperone in Turin are important to uh, the evolution of Arte Povera. These are artists, these are dealers who represented many of the artists in Arte Parvara um, and who. Um, uh, but the artists themselves had a, could say, have a slightly ambiguous attitude towards the market, which, of course, um, is not exclusive to them um, and is an attitude which emerges within art practice in the 1960s. The um, uh, the linguistic ambiguity of course is where the document ends and the artwork begins um whereas those photographs um are they weren't primarily for commercial sale they are for dissemination of information um and um for instance um in 1969 when our when when um Made his book *Arti Povera*, which appeared in three editions in German, Italian, and English. Um, that book is—it's um, a, a large book—and um, it is made up mostly of images, images which the artists themselves had been sort of responsible for making. Um, Emilio Prini, who I mentioned, for instance, uh, made work especially for that book. So um, again, this you know that is yeah. an artwork of his, but it goes into book form, which it means that it's not you know obviously it's not unique and that it is mass reproduced um, And uh, Prini, for instance, as an artist who not known very well, he's one of, he's an Artipovla artist who is not well is, is not um, well known amongst you know as, as well known as the others primarily because he resisted he resisted um um retrospectives of his work and it would only want to be represented by current projects and uh so that um, um he's almost kind of like the uh he's almost like he's <laughs> almost become as like a secret member uh, of uh of of this uh, of this uh, of of Arte Povera, um, but probably the you know, probably the most conceptual um, of with Paolini of all those who are involved. But what's always, uh, let me add that you asked all those artists of Arte Povera are involved in this exhibition, but so are many more. Arte Povera sort of has rather arbitrary limits. It's thirteen artists, but there were other artists There's working. Forty nine in
0: this company. show, isn't there?
1: There are forty nine. <laughs> and there are other artists, and it's in, you wonder why was it that um, they didn't get the call from Germano? Why, uh, you know, that 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 people like Paolo Icaro, who showed in who showed in that first show in 1967, was never classified as an Arte Povera artist, but his practice was very, very continues to be very very similar to them. Um, and uh, you can say Eliseo Mattiacci is another artist close to to Pasquale and Cornelis. But he's not considered to be um, an Archie artist. Marisa Metz is a member, is, is within that group, um, but um, wasn't for a long time. Um, and so, in a way, that,
0: this, is, this is a good thing in that, in that these people are getting a really good showing within this context. I think so. And that's quite that's important in itself. Listen, I'm, I'm really sorry. Unbelievably, time is raced. By <laughs> well, we, thought we, might, huge, we might run out of time. When does it open in Milan? Do you know, Martin?
1: It's, um, I don't think the dates have been published yet, but it's, oh, it, so it, it's spring. Um, it, exactly. It's it's spring, but there's also a book. Now, no book on Marty Povera is ever very slim, but uh, My God, is, great. a book which is in English, uh, yeah. as well as in French and in Italian.
0: Martin Holland, thank you very much for talking about all this. A pleasure. Hi, this is Matt Hale, um, bringing the second guest to today's uh, or this particular broadcast of... Art Month talk show. Um, my my second guest is Mimi Howard, and uh, she's in New York. Hi, Mimi. Hi, how Thanks. are you? Very well, thank you for coming on the program. Um, I hear that you are a writer and researcher, and you're based in New York. So it's lunchtime where you are, and tea time where I am. So listeners yeah. have some idea of the vast distance between us, but good old Zoom is bringing us together. Um, Mimi, you've written a feature and it's in the uh, february issue 463 of our monthly that's the 463rd issue readers um february 2023 and and um we called uh, it on on viewing video and it's basically about the experience of video and and making making videos now and i'm going to read a very quick uh, quote um basically it's about the experience of going to some some of the exhibitions it says this is from your feature. It's not not at the beginning. Paying attention to the sometimes densely packed investigative video artworks out there means contending with our own habits and pathologies around screens. Our Tendencies to scan, scroll and despair are more likely than not carried over into the gallery. So first of all, what is investigative... I can't hardly say the word. Investigative video.
2: What is it? In- investigative video. Yeah, this is hard to say. Um, Basically, I think this is my name for a genre of video that's become very popular in, I'd say, the past 10 years or so. I think I'm kind of, in this piece, made a claim that it starts sort of at the fall of the financial crisis and then speeds up during the Trump and Brexit era as a way to combat some of the the political tendencies of that era so the kind of post truthiness is somehow contended um with by investigative video and that investigative video uh is a form of non-fiction video art video filmmaking that tries to tell us something about reality um or or the content is kind of privileged over the form in investigative video. There's maybe research that's involved. There's often kind of an academic apparatus that's involved in investigative video. Um, And it's very closely related maybe to kind of nonfiction documentary filmmaking. uh, But I think importantly is being shown a lot in art contexts um, and especially in kind of uh, biennial settings which is something that I talk about a little bit in this piece as well.
0: You, you mentioned at the beginning a, a Whitney Museum um, immersive installation can you tell us about that as an example?
2: Sure so this was kind of um, <laughs> I was thinking back when I was writing this piece of when when did I feel there was kind of a fever pitch when the investigative video broke out into the world and became a really sort of prominent form and the moment i thought back to was um being in new york in 2016 and the whitney museum had just moved to its downtown location um and one of its first sort of blockbuster exhibits was with uh laura poitress and she did this exhibit called astro noise which featured tons of Video work and the video work ha- was kind of included uh, bits of her journalistic activist practice, and uh, there was kind of a lot of tech forward elements of it, too. So like data visualization and videos of um, like surveillance techniques and surveillance footage, and I started the piece talking about Noise, which is kind of um, sort of submerged cultural artifact of 2016, because it was this moment where investigative video was given this very prominent showcase. um, But the person who was making it was not a video artist, and yet the objects were being shown in an art museum, and they were um, encountered as art objects, and there was a lot of kind of public confusion around um, why is Laura Poitras doing this? She's an Oscar-winning documentary filmmaker. She had just made Citizen Four, and now she, um, in 2023, she's just come out with this Nan Golden documentary, which also is Oscar-nominated. So she's an Oscar documentary filmmaker. What, are, what is she doing making art objects? What is this kind of journalistic mode of art making? Um, and I think that was a, a way to sort of frame the piece because it gets at, the kind of porousness of this genre and also the kind of cross-hatched of um documentary work with video art making and also kind of uh how institutions have really begun to engage and prominently display this work.
0: Yeah I I, I was just kind of interested at one point that you say something about how people who make this investigative video work are kind of being they're sort of i mean the simplest way of saying it is is they're, they're they're doing what a lot of the funding of art kind of it's ticking boxes that's a horrible phrase but in a way it, it's covering issues that and and trying to deal with things that that funding bodies of of the arts have seemingly begun to want art to cover it's have i put that that's not put very well but there is a quote somewhere in your in your feature hmm. about that. I mean, does is that does that explain the prominence of some of this um, investigative art video work? Is it to do with where the money comes from to pay pay for art? Do you think
2: this is? Yeah, it's hard to be to not be cynical about this in some way. But I think you know you do have to look at kind of structurally as I tried to do in the piece that you know what's going on here, and I think there's the kind of political and cultural element of this kind of genre arose when there was a real need for documenting reality and kind of displaying the truth in an era of post truth. But then, yeah, as you mentioned the kind of other reality is is a funding reality. Um, And yeah, I mentioned the kind of Claire Bishop argument at the end of this piece, which is about how lots of art institutions have had to do lots of political and cultural work um, in the absence of other kinds of um, forms of social security or welfare and i think that video solves a lot of or investigative video solves a lot of problems for art art institutions because it's an incredible vehicle for sharing a lot of ideas or getting at a lot of points. Like if you have a certain amount of gallery space and you want to put up a painting, there's a limited amount of work that that painting can do in kind of uh, ticking off those boxes of having various sort of institutional goals um, for, you know, wh- whatever the institution would be interested in causes the institution be interested in sort of investing in whereas a video is kind of incredible um, and can do deep investigative work at sort of um relaying those causes or points or realities to the viewer so i think the funding is there the funding is is kind of um allowing artists to make this work but it's also a sense of uh The funding is not there, which is why video, um, I think, has become such a ubiquitous medium, because video is relatively cheap to make. Uh, You don't need that much studio space. You can set up a camera. That's pretty good, relatively cheaply. Um, So in a sense, it's both this work has become really prominent because of uh, funding and also lack of funding. Yeah, no,
0: no, definitely, definitely. It's a it's a. It's a it's a really funny the, the, you also bring up in the in the piece about its where its origin might be, i.e., where work that was somehow I mean this is say say this work refers or, or is in the same form as documentary filmmaking has been at the event. but in the past there was also the artist made work which was like television, and you refer back to a period when um there was like public broadcasting. TV was the style of some artists' work, and I think some of it appeared on television. It certainly did in the UK, and 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 you use some examples. I think, but so, but but the, what is interesting to me was you you to try to explain perhaps the difference between some of the approaches taken by the artists. So when they were involving themselves in a form outside of the, the the sort of traditional art form, like going into TV style then. And now people are using the, the um, documentary form, the investigative form, video. How is it different, their approach or their attitude or can you say?
2: Mm. Yeah, I think what was really interesting to me in writing this piece was that, There is one way to look at this kind of genre I'm trying to describe, which is, well, oh, you know, the kind of Laura Poitras thing of this is artworks. These are kinds of documentary nonfiction films being passed off as artworks. Um, But I think I wanted to dig a little deeper because uh, that's not necessarily true. I think there's something about video art in particular that has a very close relationship to investigation and to the kind of um, politics of the medium uh, that it's utilizing. So with with early video artists, I was basically, um, I had the fortune of reading this book that came out uh, on the 50th anniversary of Electronic Arts Intermix, which is a foundation that um, it was very tied up in supporting early video, uh, early video artists based in New York. And what was so interesting about reading this book, which is sort of uh, origin story from the 70s and 80s and 90s, was that almost all of these, you know, now very prominent early video artists working with uh, analog video, not digital video, was that they had super close relationships to uh, public broadcasting television and public access television. So they would get funded by government grants to make videos for, you know, a 1 a.m. slot on a public broadcast table cable television show. Um, and those kinds of grants also come with the caveat of, uh, you know, the kind of civic duty of educating the public in some way or teaching the public about something. Um, So in that sense, that's a very kind of particular uh, condition put on what video artists do and what they make. And it's one that's kind of present at the origins of this genre. And so instead of saying, okay, video art is is documentary by other means, I wanted to see how video art has always had a really particular relationship to investigation, to sharing information with the public. Um, And then also to your point about how attitudes have changed, I think earlier video art had a really playful and kind of contentious attitude towards being so closely intertwined with television. Uh, So in the piece, I I mentioned some of these, um, I mean, really like obvious uh, points of contention or like um, antagonism to television where... Ulysses Jenkins is like smashing television sets with a sledgehammer Um, and then there was this kind of early reality TV show on one of these uh, public broadcast cable channels called Cash from Chaos and at the beginning of each episode the artists would destroy the footage of the previous week, you know, they would tear the tape footage out of the camera or out of the videotape and I, I thought that was so interesting because there's a, a real resistance to the medium that the artists are using in terms of it being a mass media. And with investigative video, I felt like that tendency has kind of slipped out somehow. Um, it's, so very the relationship... serious.
0: it's very serious, isn't it? Mm. I mean, you know, you think of um, forensic architecture and 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 they're also even used, aren't they? For architecture, which I don't want to talk about them at length because we have done on on this program quite a lot. And but they yeah. basically are used even outside of the art context as evidence. I mean, they really are. They have a value, of course, they do. But but it, but it's and, and the other thing was about they're funded by being in a university, which is that other thing about the funding that they they are a department within the University of Goldsmiths. I think it's certainly yeah. very. But whereas whereas all these these other earlier TV artists, I mean, you had like Martha Rosler, the camera observes measurements of a woman's body being taken and dutifully recorded on one one of the panels. I thought, you know, it's it's irony in a way, isn't it? And it's playful. Where, whereas so I struck, struck me that the big the big thing about these investigative video artworks now is that they are this deep seriousness and and not um and not playful and also demanding a lot of attention from from the viewer you, you did mention one artist though alfredo jar who who had a piece and, and can you tell us about that one because he did something to it when I mean, he was quite aware of the attention span wasn't he for instance
2: yeah so um his video which was footage from the george floyd protests um was really in this investigative mode but at the same time highly aware of The fact that the investigative mode occurs through video, which is a format that we all encounter, we're encountering right now on the Zoom call, that we encounter all the time on our screens and phones. And um, so I read an interview with him where he mentioned that, um, yeah, he knows people don't have the attention, especially in the context of a, a biennial, to watch a 25 minute long video, especially when it's in a room. Full of other 25 minute long videos. So his was capped with a screening time of five minutes. Um, And there's a sort of awareness there that um, this video kind of has to contend with people's limited attention spans and also the kind of inattention uh, inherent in a biennial context, uh, which was has kind of been surprisingly rare to encounter. Um, yeah, you
0: talk about going, being in Berlin and I think in other, other large exhibitions that were on um, where really demand on the viewer to walk through many artists' different video presentations with them blending in with each other because they're not always displayed well, and the sound might drift between them, but also there's a, you don't know how long they're on for, necessarily there's no seating or there might be seating and there, there is a there was a lot of you say that we don't really yet know how necessarily to to really present especially time quite long time type of although there are exceptions i think where there are some where they're shown in cinemas it's what and you go in and it's like seeing a film and it's but, but, but there is a lot of stuff that's not like that and it, it, exhibitions of videos have a problem
2: yeah it it's really kind of fascinating the experience I've had the past few years of there being so much video work um I actually yeah when I saw the uh Berlin biennial I got my spreadsheet out and yeah I think it was 20 percent of works were video based or something like that mm-hmm. um and then Sort of comparing that to I saw another video exhibition, um, which I reviewed in Art Monthly a few months ago at the um, Haus der Katurin der Welt in Berlin, which was an exclusively video exhibit um, on experimental nonfiction feminist filmmaking and that was probably 50 videos in a room but because it's a video ex- exhibit you have totally different set of expectations walking in um so you're kind of prepared that that's what your experience is about to be and they had kind of you know really thought about the fact that it's hard to watch so much video at so much time um so it it doesn't showing lots of video in one place isn't necessarily impossible or like necessarily kind of bad experience but i think um it's certainly something that's being figured out at the moment. And I think, you know, will be continually figured out for the next few years. Yeah. And, 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 and there also, there may be many, there are
0: many forms of, of, of video art. And so people are learning about that as well, aren't they? There's not, it's not just as simple as box it all in the same area. There's many ways of showing it many things it's about and many, um, you know, literally, literally, how long it's on for, or some of it's looped, for instance. On, and you don't even need to come in at the beginning, or you know. But I, I get very frustrated because it often doesn't say how long, or it doesn't say whether it is a loop. You know, if it is long, there may be no seat, and you think, well, how am I supposed to? You know, you wouldn't go to a cinema and stand. I mean, it's just it's curious how the art world. Kind of doesn't worry about these things enough, really. Uh, the, the the presentation of something, and or even the art. It's the art. It's perhaps the artists in a way they need to stipulate how their things must be shown. Maybe more. I don't know. But it's a it's an issue. Interesting... Yeah, it was,
2: it was. I was just reading about this um yesterday. There's a New Left Review article on Carolee schneeman's retrospective at the Barbican, and the author of that piece talks about um, one film, which is shown in a screening um, and in a theater where there's a, maybe a Q&A, and the audience is lots of sort of people who are already familiar with Schneeman's work, and that um, the author felt really critical of the work, or fairly critical of the work when it was in that setting. But then um, later, that same video is shown in the gallery space of the Barbican. And it has a kind of more potent and kind of dangerous feel. It's um, sort of like bodywork film piece, uh, I think, from the 70s. Um, So even the same video being shown in a kind of screening setting or in a gallery setting can totally change, obviously, um, how we interact with it.
0: I wonder why they did that. It's interesting, isn't it? I, I, I did see that show, but I'm trying to remember myself that different experience but i i'm afraid i don't but that's it that is interesting it's rare actually isn't it for two things the same thing to be shown to us but that's something you can do in video obviously but still it's <laughs> it's an unusual thing but i know context is critical i mean i i i remember um years ago everyone one of the people some people still do you really use these video monitors of a very particular kind and, and yeah. that that's critical you know what the object even is that the the thing is being shown on. So if it's related to TV, it might be shown on a television. You know, now these television obviously people's televisions have changed. I mean, everything's blurring because people's homes have become like cinemas. Some of them, haven't they? Then mm. all that affects affects the whole the whole situation. But but listen, it's been great introduction to the feature, um, and I, I hope um, um, people will uh, find it in Art Monthly's um, February issue. As i say 463 that's a february 2023's issue and um we've only touched on it there are lots of different works mentioned and um uh, uh thank you so much for coming on the program um mimi howard Thanks so
2: much for having me
0: you've been listening to the art monthly talk show art monthly is a magazine published 10 times a year in the uk you can subscribe to art monthly and receive it directly to your home If you're in the UK for £35 plus post and package direct debit or you can have print and digital so you get 10 issues per year plus a digital access to every back issue. So we have a whole archive going back to 1976 and that double subscription costs £45 plus post and packing by direct debit. You can also have digital only subscriptions through exact editions. And you come to our website's buy page and you can do that for £8.99 per quarter or £35.99 per year. The Art Monthly Talk Show has been running since February 2009 and you can listen to all of these programmes, of which there are 10 a year, on our website event page. Thank you very much for listening like to take this opportunity to encourage you to donate to ResonanceFM.com Resonance have assisted art monthly in recording many programs over the years and are always in need of funds they have a fundraiser every year which is currently happening in February 2023 but you can go to their website at any time as I say ResonanceFM.com and make a donation. There's a full explanation of what your money would be put to. Uh, They are always in need of updating equipment, but there's many other reasons why they need funding, and we hope you'll help them out. Thank you.